While there is no extended conversation on the topic, this podcast does briefly mention domestic violence. If you find yourself in need of assistance, please call 1-800-RESPECT, or if you're in danger, call triple zero. We'd also like to thank Channel 7 for the use of audio from The Morning Show. Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Change Happens. I'm Janelle McMaster and this is a podcast exploring leadership through key moments of change. And in speaking with leaders over the course of these podcasts, it's clear that they almost always have somewhere in there a story arc that required a call to adventure or a call to action, a crossing of some sort of threshold or the encountering of some messy bits, and finally, some sort of insight and enlightenment. So in this season of Change Happens, I'm focusing more closely on my guests' critical moments of change, and I seek to understand how they cross the threshold and discover what it was that they learned along the way. Now, in this episode, I am talking with Kirsten Ferguson, and specifically, we're looking at the critical change moment that she led with a viral hashtag, Celebrating Women. Famous for creating the hashtag Celebrating Women, her social media campaign empowered females everywhere. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson is a globally recognised leadership expert, best-selling author, columnist and company director with over a decade of experience on a range of public and private company boards. This leadership powerhouse is set to inspire while addressing equality. And she was recently awarded an AM in the Australia Day Honours List in 2023 for her significant contribution to business and gender equality. Let's go back to your 2017 social media campaign, which was hashtag celebrating women. What was it that fueled your desire to start it? Well, you know, like many women, I was fed up and I've always believed that every single woman is a role model to someone else. And so I made a commitment to see if I could celebrate two women every single day from all walks of life and all over the world. And by the end of the year, celebrated 756 women from 37 countries. So what happened in 2017 when Kirsten found herself sending out a tweet with a simple but powerful message behind it? A change movement with a story worth sharing. We all thrive if women thrive. So I want everyone to be able to achieve what it is they want to achieve. Kirsten Ferguson, welcome back to the pod. Oh, Janelle, I feel so privileged to be back again. Thank you for inviting me. Well, for those who don't know, you were the very first um, podcast guest I ever had on uh, Change Happens. Let's be clear, it's, uh, I didn't invite you back because we're running out of guests, not by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> it was really, you know, when I think about, as I said, the focus on this season is all about zeroing in on those key moments of leading or experiencing change. Well, I just couldn't help but think immediately of you. That's why I rang you and um, the change that you created with Celebrating Women movement. I guess that time in my life um, in 2017 when Celebrating Women sort of came about out of nothing um, was a really Mm. significant um, moment that I could never have predicted was going to happen. Oh, so I'm dying to get into that with you. And as you say, you know, you can never predict it happened. I would even push it even further and say I, I have it on the public record uh, in your opening speech at an event a year before in Brisbane and I think you were speaking to about a 1,000 people. It was an International Women's Day event and you actually said, and I quote, my gender is the least interesting aspect about me. It is the only thing in my life I have no control over, the only thing I had no part in choosing. So that strikes me as quite interesting because fast forward to a year later, 
and you created a global movement around profiling and celebrating <laughs> women and then writing the number one management book, Womankind. Tell me, what happened? What changed? Why did you make the thing that you called least interesting about you an actual thing? Oh, Janelle, I have to congratulate you. You've probably done the deepest research on all the interviews I've done on celebrating women to find that quote because you're quite right. I um, I hoped for most of my career, so I've just turned 50 and celebrating women happened when I was about 45, I think, five years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the first 45 years of my life, I hoped no one noticed I was female at all. And that's because mm-hmm. I'd come through really male-dominated environments. I'd joined the military when I was 17. I'd done really well and I'd sort of learnt that keeping my gender the least interesting part about me, as I said, uh, worked. Now, Obviously, research supports why we do that because if you keep your head down, you survive. How wrong could I have been? And you were quite right. A year later, I would never have predicted that I would have been loudly and proudly celebrating women on social media or that this thing was just going to grow out of control and, and go the way that it did. So, what happened? Well, I think if anyone listening remembers back to the start of 2017, women were taking to the streets in their pink pussy hats. Mm, America had just elected a man who had boasted of, you know, sexual transgressions. Mm. Uh, we had very few women uh, heads of state around the world, you know, still very few women CEOs. And one woman every week on average was losing their life to family violence in Australia. It was also a time, I think, um, from memory, Harvey, Harvey White. Einstein was being brought to trial that year as well, wasn't he? A bit later. So, interestingly, um, Me Too all happened in the same year, but mm-hmm. later in the year. But there was clearly this groundswell of, you know, women generally feeling fed up. And I was one of them. And I remember I'm online, I use social media a lot. I really enjoy it. But I remember seeing a thread of tweets aimed at an Australian female journalist. And it was just this typical abusive thread of tweets. I can't even remember what they were. And they were aimed at Patricia Carvelis from the ABC. And I was on the board of the ABC at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, if someone had said that while I was standing next to her or anyone else, you would do something, you know, you call mm. the police on some occasions. But when you're online, you really feel like a bystander. And I just, I was on holidays, it was right at the start of the year, beginning of January, sitting on the beach in a hammock. And I just remember feeling really pissed off. And, mm. you know, thinking, well, what can I do? I'm sick of watching this. I'm sick of seeing everything that's going on. So I took myself off for a walk along the beach uh, and went off to a local um brewery. I wish I had a better story because I I knew I was going to tell this story so many times, but I had a shandy at the brewery. So I'm not even, you know, particularly interesting. And I remember writing down on the back of uh, a napkin, like in the movies, four questions. And on the way back along the beach, I rang my mum and asked her these four questions. And I posted her answers and some photos onto social media. And I didn't tell anyone she was my mum. And I noticed that you know, my newsfeed was just that bit more positive um, temporarily. And mum was a retired nurse, you know, nothing or anyone particular that we would normally hear about. So, not being one to do things by halves, 
I then committed the very next day to seeing if I could celebrate two women from all walks of life and from anywhere in the world every single day of 2017. Um, The four questions in celebrating women. Firstly, um, I only introduced every woman I celebrated by their first name. So Mm -hmm. I asked them how would they describe what they do without using a position title. And that's not Mm -hmm. that easy. So anyone listening, men or women, think about how you would tell a five-year-old, you know, what it is you do. The second (laughs) question was what did you want to do when you're at school? And I asked mum that because I literally just had no idea. So I was curious. Um, The third question was three words to describe your life to date. And the last question was, who do you hope to inspire and why? And there was no qualifying criteria to be involved. All I needed was someone to identify as a woman. And I certainly celebrated trans women as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just through word of mouth, through the, the celebratory nature of what I was doing, and through the lack of obstacles, mm-hmm. I ended up celebrating women, you know, from all over the world, 757 women from 37 countries. And they were as diverse as house painters, business leaders, women at home with their kids, um, military officers, truck drivers. Some were famous, most weren't. Um, there was a pet whisperer from No Surprise, California, and uh, <laughs> everything in between. And, you know, the whole thing was self-nominating and I had no resources. This was just me and my laptop mm-hmm. and a bit of an idea and it just grew and grew and grew. And I think one of the really important lessons for me was not to overthink things. You know, oh. if I had thought through how this was going to go or how big it was going to get or where it would take me, I would have spent far too long planning and thinking about it. And I'm so glad I didn't. Such an important lesson. Before we get into that, I want to go back to, I'm imagining you walking on the beach and you you go to a brewery, you sit down with anger and you write out furiously on a napkin these four questions. What was it about these four questions that, okay, I just, I'm not sure how I can connect this anger with those beautiful questions. Like, take me through the bridge to that. Yeah, and that is another really good question because I'm not someone who has ever responded to trolls by Mm -hmm. being angry and I'm just Mm -hmm. not a confrontational person anyway. So it never would have crossed my mind to do anything other than something positive. Mm -hmm. And the four questions then came about from me thinking, well, if I'm going to ring mum, what, like, what am I going to ask her? And those four questions never varied. And I, I would have given them 10 minutes thought if that, you know, sitting drinking mm-hmm. a shandy. So it's remarkable that they ended up being answered by everyone from like the foreign minister at the time, Julie Bishop, right through to a hotel cleaner who I celebrated and they applied. And I think that universality of asking people about you know, what do they do without using a position description? And little did Mm -hmm. I know, but that was probably the most inclusive question because it meant you could say, you know, I look after children or I help children read books to the, you know, all those kinds of things that you Mm. might want to answer. It didn't matter. Uh, And I remember getting a very senior CEO sort of use her title and I sent it back and went, no, thanks. You need to tell me what it is you do. Yeah. Yeah. What I really like about this, you know, when you think about the power of mindset change, you know, one of the things I remember 
um, that I do, I do it with my kids. In fact, they do it with me too. If you say, if you find yourself saying, you know, I have to go to work today or I have to go and study today and you change the word from I have to to I get to, mm. I get to go to work today, I get to study, it completely shifts your whole affect. Like biologically you change. You sort of go, oh, no, it is a privilege to have a job to go to. I get the access to go to school and study. It's sort of counteracting something with a very different way of looking at it. And I guess if you've been talking about the denigration of women, but now you've shifted to the celebration of women, was that what the intention was to to counteract something negative and shift the mindset and the whole affect to something positive? Or was it not as much as that it just evolved? I think it was a combination. I I have always understood the skills and the benefits of reframing situations, Mm -hmm. but I think I did that unconsciously at the time. Mm -hmm. It would be probably false of me years on having now written about it so extensively Mm -hmm. to claim that there was some great meaning behind it. I suspect it's more reflective of who I am and that, um, you know, even watching that thread of tweets from the troll, I would never have counted it with angry words it's mm-hmm. um it seemed more natural to want to fill my news feed with really positive stories as opposed to you know I wanted to try and drown out that denigration as opposed mm. to tackle the denigration head mm-hmm. on and one of the benefits of doing that was remarkably I received and the women involved received little to no trolling throughout the campaign and I ended up um, collaborating with Twitter throughout that year because it became such a significant um, movement and did an event with Jack Dorsey, who was the founder of Twitter and certainly was still leading it back then. And, you know, he too was amazed because most of these kinds of initiatives, especially if they involve women, unfortunately, mm. would be the subject of fairly torrid um trolling and Mm. I was terribly worried that these women who I was being allowed to share photos and things like that and their stories would be trolled but it never happened and I truly think it's because of the positivity of the campaign and because I was celebrating those trolls mothers and sisters and neighbors and Mm. teachers and everyday women it it never sought to um, put you know particular women that we often hear about in the limelight I really wanted to show that every single woman is a role model and I like to think that the reason we didn't get trolled was because of that. And why did you call your mum first? Uh, Well she's not on social media and I thought you know she'll trust me to just answer the questions and send the photos (laughs) without any real explanation Um, and that she did. (laughs) So (laughs) I just needed a a, a test dummy really and um, you know it was perfect because those four questions were questions I wanted to ask um, mum. And she answered them with a sentence as I asked her and she gave me some photos. So I, she was my very first profile and um, profile number 757, the last one was my eldest daughter. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was really lovely how it all came full circle. Oh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. When, as you said, you know, you had no idea. If you had known then what it was going to be, you probably would have gone back and started overthinking things and looking for resources. When did you realise that this tweet uh, or this was shifting from a moment to an actual movement? 
Uh, I can remember the day was when there was a three-month queue of women uh, wanting to be celebrated and they were (laughs) chasing me saying, when is my turn? And I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done? Because, you know, it was like it was a full-time job it became Mm. and uh, I obviously had all my existing responsibilities that were keeping me busy anyway. So for a year, my family would laugh. I would get up early. It was the only time I could do it and celebrate my two women, post my ladies, I used to call it, and uh, and do that. And every single day of the year, whether I was overseas or sick or Christmas or birthdays or whatever, I did it and didn't miss a day. And as the year progressed and it obviously became well known, I had lots of offers of help, but mm-hmm. I had turned all of them down. I really felt this was something I had committed to and I wanted to make sure it was me doing justice to the women who had put themselves forward, most of whom, 90% of whom I didn't know. And Mm -hmm. I felt a huge sense of responsibility to tell their stories and to celebrate them in the way that I thought they deserved. Did it ever feel overwhelming? Yeah. (laughs) Every day. And I think I got to about July and I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got another six months to go. But I, you know, I've never really been a quitter. I I said I would do this and I did. And again, as it progressed and people loved it and it became a daily habit. Towards the end of the year, I had many people saying, can you keep it going? You know, And I that was a clear yeah. answer. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I really believe in handing the baton on as well. And mm. so one of the most rewarding things uh, of that experience has been the number of spin-off, you know, celebrating women in firefighting was one or oh, celebrating right. women in New Guinea is another I'm aware of. I, you know, I don't own this concept. I want other people to take it and run with it. So what did you learn during that period of time? I think I, as a leader, learned a lot about diversity and inclusion. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not enough as leaders to just say, I want diversity and hope it's Mm -hmm. going to follow. I unwittingly, and I think it's just, again, because of who I am, it was incredibly inclusive. So, I had no barriers to entry. I celebrated Mm. every single woman equally. And as a result, that visible difference meant that more and more women saw themselves in people they wouldn't have normally seen being celebrated. And Mm. I remember there was an autistic lady um, who openly said she was autistic and I celebrated her and it opened me up to this whole network of other women on the spectrum because they had seen her and so I would always see this sort of pattern where I might celebrate um, someone like that and then two weeks later I'd have this influx of other women uh, on the spectrum wanting to be part of it which is you know magnificent Um, and the same thing happened in different countries you know I'd see a wave of um, Nigerian heritage women from the UK that was another Mm. sort of subset that somehow discovered it and I think it's a real reminder that inclusion must be the strategy and from that diversity will follow it's not Mm. the other way around. Well, that all sounds really magnificent and positive, but as you say, like people can be pretty brutal on, especially online, because they become faceless and you control without consequence. Was there a dark side in all of this? Did you face any trolling? Did you see any downsides in doing this? Uh, I have to 
be honest and say no. I I think I remember one person being critical, and this is how rare it was, and then that person being absolutely flooded by all the fans of Celebrating Women that I didn't really have to do anything at all. Mm-hmm. It really was an example of putting positivity out into the world brought that back. I still meet people today who I celebrated and they tell me about how it gave them the confidence to go and apply for a job or things like I, you know, I almost can't get my head around that posting Mm. and celebrating someone online could do that. But if you're someone who's never been recognized um mm, publicly before tell me people feel seen even yeah even in what to us you and I who has a profile and we do this sort of thing a lot it doesn't feel like that would actually make a difference but I know it has made a difference and uh, in the book Womankind which I wrote with Catherine Fox we mm. interviewed a number of women who'd participated and they talked about you know this confidence that it gave them having been seen probably there were critics especially at the beginning who may have thought, oh, it's pretty superficial. What does Mm, doing a mm. post about, you know, with four questions actually mean? And I understand that, but I think it judges the importance of simple measures to celebrate and amplify women. And this was a simple but highly effective way that was consistent. That's so fantastic. And I sort of reflect on that simplicity comment. I know that I remember Catherine Fagg, I think it was in your book, Catherine Fagg, she was the president of Chief Executive Women at the time, said the concept of celebrating women showed you can make a difference quite quickly. You can keep it simple and step forward and you don't need to go to a highly complex model, which I think is exactly your, what you're <laughs> It definitely wasn't complex. It was just Mm. a lot of work. (laughs) Was there anything about from the four questions themselves that you learned? I mean, because you are right, they're simple questions, but perhaps that surfaced some insights in and of themselves. My dad, he was a big supporter of the whole thing every day. He'd ring me up every single profile, want to talk about the person. But he made a word cloud of those words at the end and he had it printed on, you know, everything. It was very lovely. But what it meant is I could see the most common words and the most common word to describe your life to date from those women was challenging and then Mm. very quickly after was rewarding. So it's that real Mm. mix of there were a lot of women that had a tough tough lives, but they ultimately found their way through. I think the most telling question was, um, who do you hope to inspire and why? And that one always revealed a lot more about the woman than, you know, you'd think that question would, because if it was a woman who had gone through domestic violence, they would often say, I want to inspire other women, you know, living in fear Mm. with my story of having escaped that, or it might be other single mothers. And so there was all these different paths that women's lives took. uh, And it often came out in that question. What did you learn about yourself during that time? <laughs> well, I never did the profile. I kept getting asked and I, I never wanted to do it myself. I think I learned I'm very determined. Uh, mm-hmm. So even, you know, when I really had so many other priorities, I never, never stopped on this one. Um, and I think, as you said at the beginning, you know, and it's only really thinking about it now as you're asking, that it is in my nature to always turn things around and reframe it from being a negative to how we can benefit mm. from it and wanting to benefit as many people as possible. And um, 
you know, I never, ever, ever would have guessed that uh, I would end up doing something like this or that it would be so meaningful to me. But it was genuinely the most uh, rewarding year of my life. You know, you've got this whole kind of combo of Barack Obama and Ted Lasso in here with the positivity and that whole when they go low we go high vibes coming through. (laughs) It is a bit I hadn't thought of that. Um, So on the other side of uh, of that time actually that's 2017 we're 2023 now have you had any further reflections if you think about the reflections in that time and what you're experiencing to um life after lots and lots of things have happened you've done so many things since then and I want to cover off um, your latest book in a moment but what are your reflections from that period of time that you then took on to apply to what you then subsequently did? I think it was this wonderful reminder at the time, which I've now really embraced, this idea that no one gave me permission to do this. No one said, Mm. you know, I I think it's time for you to go and do this and here now we'll give you the authority to (laughs) go and post about women. Um, Mm. I just took it and, you know, we look at so many people that lead movements or lead, you know, far far bigger and more meaningful and impactful than mine. But things like Black Lives Matter or Greta Thunberg mm. or Me Too, which all sort of came through that year. And it really all starts with just a single person saying enough's enough. And mm. while celebrating women was minuscule compared to those, it's the same principle. And I think it's this reminder that anyone can do this sort of thing. I, it didn't really depend on who I knew because I wasn't asking people I knew. It didn't really depend on a profile as such um, because at the beginning of that year, my profile wasn't anything like it went on to be. I think that crea- mm-hmm. this movement created a profile around that. So it is definitely something that we can all, if we're passionate about it and the reason you're doing it is pure, that's how now I am sounding like Ted Lasso, but, (laughs) you know, if you're doing it to think that it'll lead to book deals and different things, Mm -hmm. then I doubt it will happen. But Mm -hmm. if you genuinely have no expectation of anything other than, you know, wanting to make a bit of a positive difference, then I think you're in with a shot. You went on to do many other things, including writing yet another best-selling book called Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. And I'm deeply proud of getting a chance to read an early version of that and or the version, one of the first versions of it and um, writing a testimonial. But there is an interesting parallel, I thought, uh, in that book to the Celebrating Women movement in that with the hashtag, you chose to celebrate female role models from all works, walks of life, not just those in the public spotlight, as you've said. And with this latest book, you chose to focus on everybody as a potential leader, not just those in the workplace that holds an official title on an org chart. So I was going to ask you whether that was a fair line to draw between the two, um, you know, a continued desire to make 
more types of role models visible and accessible. It's in there. It's in all of us. It, it, can do you draw that same sort of direct link between? I, yeah, I think I can now. It's clearly um, something I've obviously <laughs> believed for a long time. And, you know, I really wanted to remind not just women this time but men as well that we are all leaders, whether it's just of your family or, you know, you might be a single parent and it's just of your kids uh, or in your community or at work, you, you know, whatever it is you're leading in your role. And there's a lot of nuance to this, obviously. There's also formal leaders that might have lots of followers, but let's put that to one side and just think about all of us. And I did really want to bring that out and remind people that if you are already leading, you may as well leave as positive a legacy as you can. Because I think for some people, they haven't either considered the impact of their words and actions and behaviours and that they are role modelling that to those around them every single day. And modern leaders, obviously, in this book, I argue those that we need and can lead with both their head and their heart. And you can do that in any context. So mm. whether you're leading at home or whether you're at work, the best kind of modern leaders actually integrate the leader they are across all those spectrums. And so so the book has... Um uh, it's been doing amazingly well on the charts and I know it's, it's been flying off the shelves. Where to from here for you? Well, I'm going to be writing another one. <laughs> so I just, I, um, I'm just working through now with my wonderful publishers, uh, the next book. But I am loving, you know, working with organisations around what it means to be a head and heart leader and helping, you know, people from the most entry-level graduates in an organisation right through to the CEO. It's the same principles um, and thinking about it. And I would encourage anyone listening to visit headheartleader.com because you can measure your own head and heart leadership totally free. And it's just interesting Mm. to see what your strengths are and areas you might like to uh, focus on and then see whether or not you're more inclined to be a head or a heart leader. There we go. I actually did fill in that questionnaire myself. You and I had a chat about that, if you recall. Yes. Um, Well worth doing. Now, finally, I'm going to draw to a close. You mentioned that your dad had done that wonderful uh, word cloud analysis of all 757 women profiled. And I know that you also said you refuse to do answer the four questions uh-huh. yourself um, but in that word cloud he had um, the top three words came out as you said challenging rewarding and fulfilling what would be your words if I asked you at least just that question that's a good one which I have not prepared an answer for um, I don't want to use those three because I think they do apply to to all of us I think mine is always my life has been surprising Mm-hmm. Um, loving. I've always felt loved through my life mm. and um, exciting. Like I love my life. I love the different things I get to do. I love that I write books while I also sit on boards and I get to go to writers' festivals, which I've just done the last mm. two weekends, and yet I'm also sitting in audit committee meetings. Like my life is <laughs> very bizarre, but I love it and I feel very privileged to live the life that I do. Oh, that is fantastic. They are three phenomenal words and you used I get to in there as well, which I loved, uh, love hearing because it does, it does change the emotional temperature. And I have to say, uh, you've talked about something that was big in your life in 2017 and 
the way your face lights up, um, there's such a glow, there's such genuine pride and joy in what you did, but also what you experienced, who you met, what that's created. And you can't make that up. You certainly can't carry up that kind of um, energy if it, unless you feel it from within. And it's so evident to me. Can I tell you, I was on a flight just a week ago and a lady came up to me and quoted her profile number and told me oh, no. how much, you know, it had wow. all meant to her. So yeah. it really is phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, that's so, it's so amazing. And so for me, you know, there, there is so much in this conversation, um, Kirsten, but I, oh, I, I love that you showed what you can do, even with a negative emotion, you, you were fed up and you channeled that rather than just a little quiet rant, you did something about it. I love that you asked yourself the question, what can I do? And I think it's a good reminder to not overthink things. I'm a great offender in overthinking things. And the more I think about it, the more I think, oh, I better not do it. And I don't have enough resources. And you, you, um, you know, over egg it on a whole lot of things. You moved into a space without, uh, I guess, anointed permission. Um, but clearly there was a huge need and a desire and a yearning for that. And I think you have shown the power of positivity, the power of reframing, um, you know, and I love the point around reducing or removing the barriers to entry because what that makes me realize is that there are so many obstacles. There are the obstacles that we have in our own minds about I can't do this, I can't do that. There are the obstacles that you can see and then the obstacles that you can't see. And so by just removing any hurdle, you've removed the visible and the invisible. And I think that level of accessibility opens up so many new pathways. Um, and that genuine intentionality with no other ulterior motive means that that's always going to trump the negativity. No one ever can pull you down when you know that's the genuine motivation. And I think you've also lived and breathed what a grassroots movement can be, how that operates. You know, I think, you know, your three words, I understand the three words. I think they are so genuine and um, long may the many, many chapters of celebrating women continue to <laughs> unfold uh, around the world. And, and thank you, just thank you for your continued work and can't wait to read the next book. Yes, I may come and interview you for that one, Janelle. Mm, I'm here for it. Got the mic set up. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thanks, Kirsten. The Change Happens podcast from EY, a conversation on leading through change. Discover more where you get your podcasts.